This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Thanks for joining us today for TED Speaks with your host, Ted Carew, the Positive Safety Coach. As co-host and Ted's wife, I have the added task of keeping Ted in line and laughing at his jokes, which isn't always easy. My name is Barb Carew. We are coming to you from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, home of the Brewers, Miller Beer, and the Fonz. How could it get any better than that? Our podcast focuses on sharing ideas with business owners and safety professionals to keep employees safe and families together. Our passion for keeping people safe is the reason Total Health and Safety Solutions was created. This is how Ted is able to share his 25 years of safety experience by supporting companies around the globe in their efforts to strengthen their health and safety process. Please join us in welcoming Kevin Miranda. Kevin graduated from Geneva College in 2012 and has been with Max Safety ever since, becoming owner in 2018. He received his MBA from Cornell University and continuing studies in data warehousing from the Wharton School, project management from University of Houston, safety management from University of Alabama, and data science for business from Harvard Business School. Hey, Kevin. Thank you for being on TED Speaks today. How are you doing? Great. Yourself? I am great. We're excited to have you on here and learn a little bit more about you. Can you kind of give us a little bit of your background? Yeah, sure. First and foremost, I'm excited to be on. I've listened to a few of the podcasts, and I think that there's always interesting perspectives, and I'm excited to be able to add mine. Yeah, we're excited to have you on, too. So about that, I think it's uh, pretty neat to have you on. Yeah, no, no, no. I think it's good. So my name is Kevin Miranda. My father started Max Safety in 2006. We've run the professional consulting side for the past 15 years now. In 2018, we built some additional technology, and we've just kind of been working this professional service side and tech side simultaneously and really trying to scale. So I think that my background kind of lends itself to the operation side and the tech side of things, and my dad's background really is able to stay on the safety side. So it's been a nice mix for us. And I think that as we continue to grow, we've kind of stayed very grass-rooted and very organic in the way that we approach things. And I think that the Fortune 100, 500 companies almost appreciate that more sometimes than the corporate meets the corporate world. So I went to Cornell, had my MBA, done a bunch with data and science, and that's kind of where my passions lie. And I think that... uh there is a better way. There's always a better way to do safety. 
you know, and we're just trying to figure that out right now. So we continue to build new things, test new things and see where it takes us. Yeah, thanks for that background, Kevin. I like that where you say there's always a better way to do things. And I think keep on learning is the way to go. I think sometimes, I don't think so much anymore, but in the safety field, I feel like years back, maybe that component was missed, that we can better ourselves and use technology and data to make that safety program stronger. Can you talk a little bit about, you talk about the tech side of Mac. Can you give a some examples of what you're doing there and relating it to safety and making safety better? Yeah, so we are working on projects across the country, across the world, industrial, usually, some commercial, some government, some state-funded, staffing guys out all over the country. And I guess the biggest thing for us is it's always been a price war. Right. Every consultant says, I'll charge this. Then the other one says, well, I'll charge this. And we've always kind of said, like, we need differentiating facts. So we built really good rapports with multiple universities across the country. And we really developed a training program in house. Then from there, we said, hey, let's start building out technology on the databases that we've already collected. So we went to Carnegie Mellon, and that's where we kind of started down this this whole route of our SaaS platform. And so all of our consultants today use our internal SaaS platform that measures risk, quantifies risk, starts connecting passes to to present observations and does some really cool stuff. So we're just continuing to kind of iterate on ourselves. I always tell people that that's, if I gave you a roadmap, it would start with my dad and Max Safety in 2006. I did a lot of illegal at the time, sport gambling, things like that. Probability has always been kind of my thing. Traded on the FIBO for a while and then said, hey, dad, I think I can really help you out. And we started to scale the business. And now we go anywhere from, depending on what season it is, 100, 150 employees staffed all over the place. So it's been an interesting journey for us. And I think that we're just always focused on what's the next best way to do it. I think that there is a tried and true method within safety, and it really falls back to outcome bias. So if you have no injuries, then you have a good safety culture. Mm-hmm. But is that really true? And so that's kind of been our thought. And for us being consultants, and I'm sure Ted can speak to this, you're airdropped into an environment that's usually not that good of one. Right. And when that happens, it's like, well, where do we start? Just tell them they're bad? It's like, well, (laughs) that usually doesn't go over too well, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. They're going to tell us we've trained people, we have policies, we have procedures. And my first question is, well, what's the impact of them? And usually like an awkward silence. And everyone's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, have you measured previous to the fall protection training and then post the fall protection training? And everyone says, what do you want me to measure? And I say, I don't know. Let's say we're in pipe racks all day. You're going to have to transition anchorage points. How often do your guys actually maintain 100% tie-off when transitioning an anchorage point? Because if they can't do that, how valuable is the fall protection training? And so we're constantly kind of iterating on what our sole purposes are in terms of staffing, in terms of policies, in terms of procedures and training and all those things. And now kind of saying, well, we need to look in the mirror. How effective are we at it? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's kind of where we really start is 
with these companies, whether it be general industry and we're looking at standard operating procedures on how they shrink wrap pallets together or construction and it's fall protection training, whatever it is, it's like we just want to better understand the process and try to not have the outcome bias that always exists, right? Because right. no matter how far we run away, we're going to be judged by them. But I think that there's a lot of supporting and attributing factors in there in the process side that if measured correctly, you can learn a whole lot and hopefully be able to affect the future. Right. I mean, I think you bring up a good point. You know, sometimes within organizations, we're working and we think everything is good, right? And then you have a third party come out and maybe look at it a little bit differently and say, hey, you know, what about this or what about that? And the other point you brought up I thought was very interesting too was just because we haven't had injuries, that means we're safe. And that necessarily is not always true. I mean, I can think of some companies recently that have had great safety records, but have had fatalities in the recently. Because what happens sometimes is people don't want to report it or whatever the climate of that particular culture is. And that comes back and hurts, literally, you know. And so looking at different ways about that. But one question I have for you is, so are you looking more at the leading indicators than lagging indicators? Yeah. I know that you just had a guest on Professor Matt Holloway, I believe yep. his name, yep. from Colorado, wrote the TRIR paper. I applaud him for that. It's something that we talk about consistently. You don't have to be really good at math to figure out if company A, and I won't name names, but the largest privately held company in the United States is a construction company versus mom and pop shop down the street. They're both in the same NCCI code. So they both are going against the same industry average incident rate. Well, if someone works 50x man hours, they can have a whole lot more injuries and they basically are going to be able to consume them. And so we always tell people like those numbers, they aren't actually significant in terms of performance, in terms of the value of your safety. So we're not only looking at leading indicators, but we're trying to create more. I think that right now everyone's kind of in a lull of like, well, what is a leading indicator? And we'll go to a company and they'll tell us, well, we've had five people trip in the past six months. So if we identify a trip hazard, that's a leading indicator. And I'm like, well, is that a leading indicator? What's that tell you? It right. tells you that there's a trip hazard <laughs> there, but there's probably trip hazards everywhere at all times. You know, it's kind of like, we need to better understand processes and that's kind of the whole ethos of the platform itself and what we do on that side of the house is a laser focus on a process and then start to really consume and extrapolate leading indicators like how much risk is mitigated from an action. Let's say I'm using an A-frame ladder. Well, the A-frame ladder itself isn't a leading indicator. However, someone reaching on the A-frame ladder with the A-frame ladder set up on an uneven surface and the ladder not secured, yeah, if I can quantify those things, there's the metric that's a leading indicator saying that this event scenario could possibly lead to a suboptimal outcome. There's tons of schools of thought around what we can predict and what we can't predict. But I would say is if you look at any event, any incident investigation, and you turned it into a tree. So you said, okay, what were the actions? What were the risks present? What were the mitigators present? From there, you're going to have root causes. And as you start to extrapolate that information, 
if you started to measure that same process over and over again, wouldn't you be able to basically put those trees on top of each other and start seeing how alike they were? And then from there, you can start to build a model that says, well, okay, if these are this alike, well, then the probability of the same outcome occurring is X. And that's the kind of ideology and methodology that we take in our instant probabilities is we're really trying to create these event trees based off of the actions that are taking place, the risks that are present conditionally, environmentally, or from a person interacting with that hazard, and then all the mitigators in place. And from there, we can start to quantify this stuff all out. And what's really nice is, is when I talk about it, people usually get confused. <laughs> but within the system, it all is happening autonomously. So you're just clicking what's present. And then the math is done all in the back end. And it, it becomes a really valuable and tangible tool for work comp insurance, brokers, carriers, whomever. And then, again, I always tell people this, safety directors across the world, don't go to big meetings or sit in front of shareholders and tell them about your absence of failures. Mm-hmm. Because the CFO, the CEO, the COO, they're not doing that. They're not going to say, hey, guys, shareholder X, we didn't lose money this month, this quarter, this year. We didn't lose market share. What they'll say is we grew X, we made this much more, there's benchmarks, and then you need to hit new ones. And in safety, it's like, well, the only benchmark is zero. So I can't go past it. And I think that's really why we said we need to create metrics where people can start benchmarking performance rather than counting the amount of outcomes, whether those be positive or negative, because then we have a way to consistently keep getting better in tracking that trajectory. Yeah, well, I think you brought up a lot of good points, Kevin. One, going back a little bit, I know you guys talked about a company who has good safety records. Sometimes they think they don't need a lot of these measures and such, but it's kind of like if you want to stay good, you still have to keep safety in the forefront. You can't just forget about it and hope to keep lucking out. So I think a lot of these technical tools that you're talking about might be overwhelming to some people. It sounds like this is your thing and you understand how it can help and predict certain things and then how companies can learn from that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of times what we're doing is we're talking about risk versus compliance with a lot of companies, right? And so they always want to look at that. What's the difference, Kevin? To me, it's kind of like a shared vision, right? So if we go into a company, and I apologize to all the taglines out there, but I use this as an example. (laughs) If I go into a company and I'm watching, let's say, a 25-pound piece of sheet metal fly up the side of a building, and we have a tagline on, and there's high wind, and the surface area is XYZ big. Well, the risk is actually greater for the person to hold the tagline because their shoulder could get ripped out of place while holding it, but they'd be OSHA compliant. So I think that there's some just logic to take, and unfortunately, that logic is built from experience. You even have like owners, right, that are telling you you got to do that. Because they don't necessarily understand what you're just saying on that part. That's exactly right. It really falls back to like safety is so levered on people's experience, Mm -hmm. what they've seen, what they've done. And it all falls back to that outcome bias. So being very outcome biased, so saying like, I saw this happen before. So I know the ramifications of it today. 
whether that be I watched someone come out from OSHA to a site and find someone $72,000 for not wearing fall protection, proper PPE, or barricading areas. They went out of business. Well, that guy or that gal is going to be very, very compliance-driven moving forward because they saw this negative outcome that crushed a company, and it's like, I never want to see that again. Right. And I don't fault that person. But I think for us, it's like, I have the ability to see multiple sites across the country on a weekly basis. And I see one site have pearl weave on every single scaffold that exists. The other 99 I go to, they don't even know what pearl weave is. (laughs) But that one that uses pearl weave has a reason for it. They're not just spending money to spend money. And I think that it's like the larger companies have larger data sets. They have seen more things happen. So therefore, they can make better adjustments because all it takes is one time. And I think for us, it's like we really utilize the tool as a way to democratize safety to everybody. It shouldn't be a trade secret. The best ways to do things, the most cost-efficient ways to do things, the safest ways to do things shouldn't be trade secrets. And unfortunately today, they usually are. And I think that that's kind of where we really help is the small to mid-sized company that's overpaying for work comp insurance on a yearly basis because they're a roofing company. And it's like, you should probably tell your broker that you access roofs via man lifts, not extension laps. And the guy says, well, why? They've never accessed a roof in their life. They'd have no idea what that meant. And it's like, yeah, that's fine. But I can show the numbers that can then dictate someone's thoughts and say, wow, they've really reduced the risk by not accessing roofs via extension ladders on a consistent basis. So just looking at these like little niche groupings and, and how they work is kind of where I think our, our largest value proposition lies. And we just, like I said, continue to iterate constantly. Yeah, Kevin, and I think, like you said, what you bring is experience. You said safety is so levered on people's experience. And that's very true. And then you go back to just human nature. Usually people remember or get things better if they experience it versus being told something. But in the safety world, you don't necessarily want them to experience (laughs) the bad outcomes of getting hurt and and such. So that's why it can be difficult, I would think, relaying that you don't want people to experience that. So you have to not only go in and consult, but teach and coach them kind of the right from wrong and hopefully have them avoid the experience in general, which can be a little tricky, I would think. That's exactly right. I've done a ton of schooling, fortunately or unfortunately. Still not, <laughs> still not decided on that yet. You're not done yet. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. I continue to try to learn anyways. But in school, the most effective ways that I ever learned was through case studies, where I could see kind of the beginning, the cause, the effect, and the end. And that's the unique thing about the way we've kind of architected and collect this data is, let's say... The action today is we're going to lock out, tag out, and verify that we have zero energy across all these different machines. And a guy could do that for 100 days in a row, not following the procedures at all, and never get zapped for whatever reason, by chance, completely. And he'll tell me, like, yeah, I mean, I follow some, I don't follow others. We kind of do this, we kind of do that. It's like not following that the probability of an incident to occur is like, I don't know, 
25% across 127 different NCCI codes, across 250 different companies, blah, 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 blah. And he says, well, it's never happened to me, though. I'm like, okay, well, let me show you what the probability is if you do follow the procedure. And it's like 4.3%. And he's like, really? It gets that low, that fast. I'm like, yeah, you should follow those procedures. They matter. You know, and then usually what ends up happening is there is some sort of outcome that is suboptimal. And at that point in time, people are like, hey, you were right. So I think that as we go, we're really trying to to educate. First and foremost, I tell whether it's an account manager, whether it's our sales department, whoever it is, the only thing that I expect you to do is educate. Because I think that there is just a really big gap in even who safety people are today. If I'm working with a site safety officer at some big utility company in the Northeast, I might be dealing with a guy with 10 years of experience. But then I go deal with the guy in the field working for the contractor, and he'll have two years of experience. And then I go talk to the foreman that has 35 years of experience. So now everyone's kind of leaning and levering. Well, I know OSHA real well, says the 10-year guy. The two-year guy says, I am completely just going to listen to these two guys. And then the foreman says, I've been in the field for 35 years. I know this, this, and this. I know the outcome. And so you get these like weird, and they're across every industry, but you consistently get them. And with safety, everything is levered on experience, you know? And I think for us, it's kind of like trying to de-lever that with data and with a laser focus on processes is really our goal and our mission. Yeah, I like that. Can you just kind of um, sum up, we've been talking a lot about data, numbers, and percents. Just sum up for our audience, what's the difference in your eyes between data in safety versus safety data? Leave them with that thought. <laughs> yeah, I think that this is an important topic question. I was speaking for Indiana University of Pennsylvania the other day. Shout out Dr. Rhodes. I don't know if she'll listen to this, but if she does, she can hear this. Doesn't everybody listen to this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome professor. And she had me in and she said, hey, I just want you to talk about data and construction safety. I said, all right, sounds good. So I went in and I said, and these are all, they're getting their master's degrees in safety. And I asked them all, what is data and safety? What's that look like? And everyone said, well, a JSA, an observation. And I said, well, what's the data piece? And everyone kind of looked at me and said, well, like we did the observation, we did the audit, we count how many we've done in a week, how many JSAs we've done, we audit the JSA, whatever it may be, we have man hours, and then we talk about the outcomes, and we have one near miss, so these are all data points. And they are. But the point of data and analytics altogether is to become business intelligence for people to make better decisions. And that's where the drive needs to be. And that's where there has to be a level of translation within a company. For us, I think right now, it's like you have data. Mm-hmm. However, is the data useful? So if you've had 12 near misses and you're just counting near misses, is that useful to you? Or do you have four near misses using A-frame ladders and using power tools? Three near misses using angle grinders within pipe racks. And out of those three near misses, all three of them, the person wasn't using two-hand operation. It caused kickback. Okay, well, now you're starting to get intelligence from your counts of outcome. And that's really where it starts to drive to for us is 
the consumption of data and the translation of data into business intelligence. You know, I think that the word data gets thrown around so much by so many people and people get overwhelmed by it. And usually what ends up happening is they have an Excel spreadsheet where they have tons of sum equals line B1 through B2074. And it's like, but what does that help you with moving forward, right? Right. And I think that that's our whole ethos really is take the path, connect it to the present so that it can help you decide for the future. That's kind of the methodology and and way we go about it. But I do think like, again, back to Matthew Holloway and those guys, I think the TRIR and the insignificance of it, like those are the data points that even the insurance companies are currently looking at. Right. Yep, they are. We talked to the actuaries and the actuaries tell us, well, they had five injuries this year. They had six injuries the year before. They had two injuries three years ago. Well, they're basically just going to say, well, here's the trajectory. You're going to land somewhere between 1.4 and 8.3. We price you accordingly. And it's like, but that's totally, time isn't a correlation to injury. Correct. Right? So it's not like every six months we have two injuries. That's not how it works. And I think that there's too many people that kind of consume it that way. Again, it's just something that we're constantly trying to educate and hopefully be able to change long term. No, I definitely like those, uh, you know, looking at the data in safety and that, because a lot of times there is so much data, we get overwhelmed and we don't even know how to use it correctly. And, and I think you bring up some really good points, Kevin. But first of all, I want to thank you very much for being on our show. But as you probably know, this is the best part of the show right here is our uh, <laughs> I don't our know jokes. about that. But... <laughs> you, you always say that. It is. <laughs> so anyway, are you ready for our jokes, Kevin? Yes, I am. Uh (laughs) We got to say a little more excitement. (laughs) He says that now. Yeah, I know. I'm super excited. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Okay. What did the ocean say to the beach? What did the ocean say to the beach? Don't think too hard on these. (laughs) No. (laughs) Did they wave? (gasps) Oh. He did. He said nothing. Just waved. Way to go, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) You got that. People don't always get our jokes here. Not always. That's all that schooling. <laughs> we have one more for you here. Yep. This is a good one. Okay. What did the janitor say when he jumped out of the closet? Hmm. <laughs> I don't have anything. You're not going to laugh too hard when know. the answer comes about either, Oh, no. Kevin. Okay. What did the janitor say when he jumped out of the closet? Supplies. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Kevin. Thank you very much for being on the show and enduring our jokes. Yeah, really. But also educating our audience. Can you give some contact information if somebody listening wants to get a hold of you? Yeah. Please feel free to go to MacSafety.com, MacIntel.io. Those are kind of the, we've separated the websites just to make it easier for people. Look me up on LinkedIn. I'm sure you'll be able to find my email, cell phone number, whatever it may be on those places. And feel free to reach out. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Kevin. Yes, Kevin, and have a super safe day. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to TED Speaks with Ted Carew, owner of Total Health and Safety Solutions, providing health and safety support to businesses by customizing a safety process to fit their needs, big or small. Please connect at ted.carew at healthandsafetynow.com or visit our website, healthandsafetynow.com. 
to share your safety stories or find out more about how we can work together to ensure your people go home safely and turn an expense into a profit center. Follow us and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Have a super safe week.